This week, The Sea Devils, written by Malcolm Hulk, directed by Michael Bryant. A race of underwater reptiles start to attack shipping as the doctor searches for a peaceful solution. There are many thousands of our people in hibernation in this base. We have other colonies hidden all around the world. We shall be the victors in the war against mankind. But there's no need for a war. Why can't you share the planet? That would be impossible. The depths of the sea and those areas on Earth where man cannot live can be yours. for a peace than to launch yourself into a war that you cannot possibly win. I will consider what you have said. Let me return to the humans and I will endeavor to make a peace for you. Perhaps it would be possible. No! Doctor is your deadly enemy. He must be destroyed. You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. A nerdy podcast hosted by a husband and wife team who take a loving but critical look at all things in Whoville. We're sex positive, queer friendly, and not afraid to speak our minds. Warning, not in language, spoilers, a general disregard of all things Stephen Moffat and other adult content may lie within. Captain Hart, there's only one way to deal with this problem. You have to attack. Oh, pass me the sugar, my dear, will you? My submarine is missing in that area. There's a chance that some of the crew may still be alive. And what about the doctor? He may still be alive down there, too. Yes. Well, this is war, my dear, and war calls for sacrifice. Any chance of any more toast, my dear? Yes, sir. Now, I've had a look at that unit file about the creatures that your friend the doctor encountered in those caves. And do you know what happened? Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart blew the whole lot up. Maybe, but I bet he didn't do it by risking the lives of his own men. Well, that's as may be, but our line is quite clear. Immediate retaliation with everything that we've got. I'm sorry, sir, I don't agree. Your opinion is quite immaterial, Captain Hart. The order's already been given. Ships are converging on this area from ports all over England. You're throwing away the lives of the men in that submarine, sir. And you'll probably kill the doctor. Look, do you realize that that's murder? Murder? War over it, my dear. Well, no, it's that girl with my toes. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. That was really perfect. Oh, poor Phoebe. Will he be able to do it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We, we, I guess we'll have to find out. You have to watch the episode to find out. Yeah. So, welcome. Episode 41 of uh, Oi Space Fan, Doctor Who Love Story. Uh, you've already heard all the voices, but I'm Daniel. Joined, as always, by my lovely uh, companion, lifetime companion, Shana. And uh, the cat, Phoebe, who um, is usually not as visible and audible in this as the puppy, but the puppy's in our crate, so we don't have to worry about that today. Hopefully. Hopefully. And uh, also, a friend of mine, my friend Lee, who we've been wanting to get on this podcast for a while, for something like 41 episodes. So, <laughs> Lee, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be covering the Sea Devils. This is the third Doctor adventure from Season 9. Uh, with Joe Grant and the Third Doctor and the Master and a bunch of crazy political stuff happening. Yes. Oh, the politics of it all. Lee, since you are our guest on this today, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about who you are and uh, your history with uh, Doctor Who? Okay, I'm Lee Russell. Uh, 
I do like Daniel used to do beer reviews on YouTube and uh, I have a movie podcast um, that Daniel is a co-host of and uh, I first got into Doctor Who when I was a very very little kid I think probably sort of the typical story most North American kids have when they when it comes to Doctor Who at least in our age bracket anyway where they mostly probably saw it on PBS Almost all of them probably saw Tom Baker before they saw anyone else. Uh, I actually had the privilege of seeing John Pertwee before I saw Tom Baker, so he sort of became my doctor. Uh, so that's that's why I'm a big fan of his uh, stuff the most. He's my favorite. Do you remember which uh, story you saw first? It, it had to be um, it had it had to be Spearhead from Space. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, we're we're better to start than on this first, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, so you're also uh, kind of a big uh, 70s, you know, we, we review a lot of, uh, we've lately been reviewing a lot of kind of 70s horror flicks and that sort of thing, so um, this is kind of right in your wheelhouse, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think um, Pertwee uh, really, it, it really it really does come from that sort of time, and it's, it's definitely influenced by a lot of uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s uh, British uh, stuff like uh, Quatermass and, and things of that nature, too, so it's, it's right up my alley, yeah. Well, awesome. We will uh, come back to you in a second. But first, Shayna, this was your first time getting to see the Sea Devils. Yeah. And, and only your third ever Pertwee story um, after Spearhead and Terror of the Autons. So uh, what do you think of the Sea Devils? I thought the Sea Devils were like, I think I referred to them as turtle drag queens wearing fishnet dresses with fanny packs that looked like they had a CD glued to the front. But that that is an accurate that, description. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. I, I am really growing to love very quickly the kind of campiness of the, of the kind of very science fiction-y stuff of it, of, of the bad guys, of kind of some of the effects, the mind control. It feels like there's a little campy buildup of that. But I think it plays really well with kind of that stark order contrast of the political storyline and, and unit being in there. So I, I really, is it a very different show than other eras of Doctor Who? Absolutely. But I don't think that that's bad. It feels, it, it's still very fun. And I think that the Doctor still has that core bit of alien element that, that keeps it Doctor who enough for me. I don't know. I'm really liking Pertwee is what I'm saying. Yeah, I kind of get that. I mean, I kind of watch your reactions when uh, we're watching these sometimes just to see kind of what you're paying attention to and what you're not. Uh, the first two parts of this, you were kind of, I don't want to say checked out, but you were definitely less involved than the last four where it gets a little bit more political, a little bit more interesting. Um, the first two parts are a little bit more uh, maybe action heavy or just kind of, uh, you know, maneuvering things into place. Um, well, I so. mean, you don't have to pay attention to that shit. It's like, <laughs> they're running around, things are going boom. Like, y you get a basic idea of what's going on, and then it's just pretty and shiny. And like, oh my god, look at Joe run back and forth, and she being cute and clever. Look at her get locks undone. That's awesome. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, Lee, you've seen this one at least three times, probably. Mm -hmm. Probably many more times than that in your life. What do you think of this story, and what do you think of like how it fits within the kind of Pertwee era? I, I thought it was a pretty solid story. I mean, 
it was it was one I have no trouble revisiting any time I feel like it. Right? It's not like I'm gonna go into this one thing. Oh God, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be slow. It's gonna be boring. I actually I actually uh, find it quite a bit fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I I have that sort of reaction to a lot of the Pertwee stuff though. Like I like I uh, already said, it really reminds me of like a Bernard uh, Quatermass sort of story where. You know he's he's stuck on Earth. He's 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 part Quatermass. He's part John Steed from the Avengers. He's dealing with Earthbound problems. Um, I I just love that stuff, and I think this story flows really well. Like it starts off with some good action. Uh, it goes into the character parts, builds up the story, goes again to some action. Uh, there's a lot of Pertwee driving around in boats and and doing action hero stuff. You know, yeah, there you is. Yeah, keep you interested. And Joe Grant, she gets to do a lot of stuff. Like she, she gets basically to save the day on multiple occasions throughout the entire serial. So it's really, really good. Uh, your thoughts on this, Shana? Uh, I, I don't know if you heard me say I was like saying yeah in, in affirmation. Yeah, like, and, and I think that that's what's cool about the Pertwee era is that there's the element of camp and fun and the like the fact that they're all dressed kind of ridiculously to period which I all love and I say that but I mean I love all of that and then it's still a good story um I don't think that they do sacrifice story for all of the action and and kind of fun stuff so let's just let's just kind of get some uh get get a get some of the stuff out of the way um I do like this one as well what's interesting is the um this is a very atypical we episode because unit's not in it um they kind of have the unit stand in um but most of the you know this is kind of the unit story that doesn't have unit which is interesting um but it otherwise feels very uh typical of the pertly era like this is just kind of one of those oh and then there's the sea devils and um probably the one um obviously uh they had the assistance of the royal navy in making this um which i which accounts for the um, kind of higher production values than we necessarily think. Um, this one has mm-hmm. a it went over it went over on budget. I think um, lots of footage of you know uh, torpedoes moving and that sort of thing. The model shots look uh, not so great, but um, there's a lot of really good footage here. It feels very lived in. It feels very real. The other thing that really stands out for me on this one is the um, writing by Malcolm Hulk. Um, and Mac Hulk was the most uh, kind of overtly political writer in uh, Doctor Classic Doctor Who history for sure. Um, he was an avowed socialist in his real life <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it really comes through in this writing. And I think we're going to talk yeah. about that quite a bit, but, um, we're, you know, again, third doctor story. Let's, uh, talk about, I mean, Lee, you mentioned Joe Grant. Um, what do you think of Joe Grant as a companion in, um, you know, in context with the other companions, we are kind of, Shannon are looking at these stories through the lens of the companions. So, so mm-hmm. what do you think of Joe Grant, both in the story and in general? Oh, I absolutely love her. Um, She's okay. I think uh, a lot of people sometimes, uh, real diehards, will compare her to Liz Shaw, and they'll you may they they might rate her a little lower, uh, just because uh, poor Liz Shaw only had a couple episodes really, and then she basically got swept under the table. Um, and she wasn't very much like a companion that goes around running around with the Doctor either. She was much more lab bound or whatever, right? But uh, I think I think Joe is excellent um there I, I don't think she's i mean her character is one who is probably a little less scientifically grounded than uh, liz shaw was 
Um, she's just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah, bit. just just a little bit. But she, but she definitely, and she definitely puts up with the doctor's shit a lot more than than Liz would. Um, but I think the relationship between uh, the doctor and Joe is much more of a really warm kind of father daughter kind of relationship. Like you can definitely tell the doctor has a deep love and respect for her and values what she has to say. Like the second she looks out the window and says she saw the master uh, walking down in, in the ground there, he immediately believes her and. And, you know, we got to do something. The master's loose, you know. It's it's not like he's treating her like some sort of subservient idiot, really. Um, I mean, sometimes his temper gets the better of him because, I mean, he is uh, the Pertwee doctor who's, you know, exiled on Earth. And that kind of pisses him off to some degree. But, I mean, whenever he snaps at someone, uh, especially a companion, he doesn't necessarily mean it. And he, you can tell he feels bad about it afterwards, so... Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it would be unfair to hold, like, Liz disappearing against Joe. That really had nothing to do with the poor girl. But I think what's interesting about Joe is she really does quickly become this very likable and sympathetic character. Um, she's maybe not as smart as the doctor. She doesn't get to have science jokes with him. Hmm. Um but she's still just as quippy. She has other, she's clever in other ways. Um, and it's, it's nice to get to see that the doctor can respect people who have different kinds of intelligences. Um, and the father daughter thing gets a little like, it gets a little creepy uncle, uh, (laughs) at times. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, he's a little touchy-feely for it to be uh, a straightforward father-daughter relationship. But, uh, you know, I get where you're going with that, Lee. I, I'm not at all complaining yeah. about that. But um, Not at all disagreeing, but, like, there are a few moments where you're like, what? Uh, <laughs> um, but I, so far, I mean, I like who she is as a character because... She does do a lot, even though a lot of what she's doing is running back and forth and getting locks and doing little uh, scheme plans to help get the doctor out and finding little bits of information. Like, she's active and she's, like, of her own agency, the whole, like, almost the whole time. Yeah, one thing that people forget about Joe Grant when they kind of dismiss her as the, oh, the, the blonde girl who wasn't Liz Shaw, you know. Right. Um, is that you know she's she's a character with a job like she's not the doctor's companion in the way that you know later Sarah Jane's going to be or right. you know she is an employee of unit you know she she draws a paycheck and in 1971 you can't dismiss that element of her character you know she, she still is not. that um, moving on from Joe Grant I'm sure we'll talk about her uh, a little bit more later on uh, moving on to the master um, who appeared in every story in season eight. Um, and uh, took a, took an episode off in the la- in, right before this one, and now uh, he was imprisoned at the end of the demons or demons, whichever you want to say. And uh, now he's imprisoned uh, by a uh, very uh, <laughs> a very corrupt George Trenchard, uh, played by Clive Martin. I don't know if he's so much corrupt as he is just really dumb. Well, I don't know. Like the uh, I was reading the the TARDIS wiki page before I ca- I started this episode, and. Uh, you know, even the wiki page is like, it's kind of unclear as to whether he's actually mind-controlled by the Master or coerced or if he just kind of agrees with what the Master is going along with. Um, 
But uh, what do we think of the master in this episode? Whoever wants to kind of talk to the master first, go ahead. You know, I thought, like, this whole, like, the master's, like, kind of on a holiday in jail. Um, <laughs> with a rowing and- machine? <laughs> With the rowing machine and the, oh, look, oh, the doctor's victimizing me. Oh, you know, like, there's a lot going on here that just feels like the doc- the master's just like, I'm going to do this because I find it amusing. Um, and part of that is this very dim-witted guy who I think at one part, doesn't he say, like, go distract them and use your mind, you know, be smart about it <laughs> or something like that. And, like, that is the one part where this character has a chance to do something of his own and he like completely gives the whole thing away and fucks up and like he fucks up throughout but like he is a bumbling idiot of a character so whenever you have somebody who is a mastermind like the master working with like a bumbling idiot it kind of feels like oh he's just kind of hanging out with this dude and killing some time until he thinks of the next nefarious thing to do um i I think what's interesting here with the master is he kind of he kind of acts like he's this you know kind of brilliant 11th dimensional chess player like maneuvering all these people and all the you know he's got the sea devils and he's playing the sea devils against the royal navy and he's playing this guy trinchard against the navy and against the sea devils and he's trying to play the doctor and he's trying to manipulate all these pieces and yet, whenever it kind of comes down to somebody is uh, threatening him or, you know, he, he kind of gets manipulated and put in his place by the warden a few times, which I think mm-hmm. is an interesting dynamic as well. Um, Lee, you want to speak to that or talk about the master in general? Uh, yeah, um, well, I, I love I love his sort of uh, slightly flamboyant performance. I love how, yeah, he is having a bit more fun. It's obviously It's obvious he's having fun. It's obvious he thinks highly of himself and he's playing all these people and he's kind of amused by uh how well it's going for him uh trenchin or whatever his name is yeah i i I don't think he's necessarily evil or corrupt i think he's just uh a useful idiot uh he like they they even make it pretty pretty blatant later on at near the end that uh it was essentially his sense of nationalism and also the fact that he probably felt pretty small just sitting behind a desk somewhere when he figured he should be winston churchill or something instead right um Mm -hmm. and 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 the master played on that the master used him the master uh talked to him almost like an equal in some regards uh treated him almost like a, a friend just to manipulate him and then when the master sees him laying dead on the floor later on in the episode, it's like, eh, whatever. I got what I needed out of him, so mm-hmm. that was it. And that's almost literally what he says in that moment. Like, ah, oh, all right, that's over. You know? yeah. <laughs> like... Well, and I, but I, and I think that that's what makes him a great villain is he's entertaining because he's so, like, just kind of like, doo-doo-doo, I'm doing this today, and oops, that guy died. But then, like, you realize, damn, he's evil, yo, like, the one kind of friend he had procured is dead and he's just like yeah yeah you know it's it shows a good contrast of the character that can make you take him serious even though it is such a campy trumped up performance um i don't know it's very arch like that's the word i always like to use to describe delgado's performance it's just this very arch broad you know performance Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it works because he, he plays in direct contrast to Pertwee's very serious performance and take yeah. on his character. So it works very well. I think that there is actually, God forbid, like there's a good balance between them. And, you know, 
I, I was joking about it before I knew it was a thing. I, I immediately was like, oh, yeah, I totally ship the master and the doctor. And you were like, oh, no, no, that ship goes way, way back. <laughs> and there's one scene where, like, the doctor passes behind, behind the master and he has, like, his hands on his sides. And at one point... <laughs> I started singing this song where I was like, the master's going to show up and he's going to wreck some shit or I don't even know what it was. <laughs> Do you remember what I was saying? <laughs> it was something like that. I can't remember. But um, it was actually you were singing that. I was going to bring this up next, so we'll just move on. Um, you know, when we're talking about the master manipulating uh, people and uh, doing his whole uh, political mastermind 11-dimensional chess thing, um, you can't help but notice the sea devils kind of see through him very quickly. Um, oh, yeah. In that, you know, and partly I think that's an expedience for time, um, you know, because, you know, you have that cliffhanger where the doctor is uh, missing from the, the tube and then they, you know. I think it's because turtle drag queens have a great wisdom. I don't disagree. Uh, Lee, what do you think about turtle drag queens and uh, wisdom? I think they're a couple, maybe a couple hundred dollars from looking as good as Admiral Akbar, uh, if they had that budget, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I, I like them. I mean, um, yeah. I, I know some people will just rag on them for being, you know, cheap Doctor Who, uh, cheap Doctor Who uh, puppets, I guess. And they even make a joke about that at one point in the, they sort of self-referencing joke uh, where the master is watching some weird puppet show on the on the he, tv he's screen. watching the clangers this was an actual tv show ah, okay. um, and uh sorry i i have this in my notes so i'm just gonna bring it in now since you mentioned it this was a real like kid show called the clangers and they literally inserted that scene because they found out that episode was going to be you know 90 seconds short and so they literally threw in like <laughs> a little bit where the dot where the master is just watching tv and then he has that little line where he you know he says you know obviously some strange form of life or whatever you know some extraterrestrial life and uh, Trencher takes him seriously. He's like, oh, well, you don't know this is a kid's show? And the master just kind of rolls his eyes. It's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a very funny moment, but you have to kind of pay attention to the intricacies because people do kind of have that conversation. Like, does the master think this is like a real thing? Or does it? No, no, the master's not an idiot. Like, yeah. at least not in this case. But anyway, but I, um, continue. I, I, do like, I do like the sea devils. They're, they're definitely far from being the worst looking Doctor Who monsters ever. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. get, get, get later on until I, I think it's Colin Baker era with uh, the Vorvoids or whatever the hell they're called. That look basically like <laughs> giant penises coming out of vaginas. Yeah, um, there, there is that, yeah. Why yeah. haven't I seen these, Daniel? You're going to see this, don't worry. We're going to do the whole trial of a Time Lord eventually. So, you know. <laughs> you're, uh, but, you're going to but curse yeah. me when we get to this. Like, it's... Yeah. Anyway, I think I think they look pretty good. They they look, of course, better at a distance. Uh, they they are probably the worst shots uh, after Imperial Stormtroopers. I'll give them that. Um, and the slowest shots as well. But um, as far as as far as Doctor Who villains go, I think they're pretty decent. They're maybe not as good as their cousins, the uh, Salorians or whatever. But I mean, you know, they're they're serviceable. That they, they add a little bit of an extra dimension to the to the story, and I had no problem with them at all. So. Well, Shanna, since uh, Lee brought up the Silurians, we can just kind of talk about this. You you mentioned it. I mean, you haven't even seen the episode Doctor Who and the Silurians, but you have seen the uh, the Angry Earth two-parter from uh, Matt Smith's era, and you kind of uh, mentioned, like, this plot seems very familiar. Um, would you like hmm. to uh, expound on that? I think I actually said, this is the same plot. Yeah, uh, there, there are three Silurian slash Sea Devil stories in the classic series, and then the one Silurian story in series five, 
and they all have the same plot. It's literally the same yeah. plot over and over again. Well, and you know, I, I to be fair, it's not a bad plot. The, the the plot of we're going to have two civilizations that are trying to exist in the same space and the doctor's going to try and convince them to work a peaceable solution and yet somebody gets an itchy trigger finger and blah 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 you know like that that whole situation like that is a good story I, I will make fun of of them as the drag queens um, <laughs> in fishnet with uh with um uh, fanny packs but I do like that they are oddly neutral as a villain. Like, they're not scary, really. So when the Doctor is somewhat sympathetic to them, it's understandable. So I, I think I like them for that reason. Because, because the whole reason of having that storyline, right, is trying to see past the exterior and find a way to live together peaceably and have balance. So, like, the more ridiculous the fucking turtle drag queens in their fishnet look, um, the less it matters in some ways because ultimately, yeah, I don't know. I, I love my, my favorite moment, I think, in, uh, you know, just in terms of the design of the monsters and the costumes and stuff is, you know, because they do very much look like, you know, dudes in, in rubber masks um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, headgear. Uh, wearing these kind of ridiculous costumes, which I think the design is fine. I do wish they'd, they'd lit it a little bit lower so it was a little bit more shrouded, shrouded in the dark. It might be a little yeah. bit easier to buy the, the rubbery nature of it. Um, but I, I, you know, I do kind of have this moment uh, watching this, uh, and I think it's episode four when the Master and the Doctor are trying to... The Master is essentially trying to manipulate the Sea Devils into doing it, and then the bombing starts and, you know, all this kind of crazy shit. All the shit hits the fan. But you're having this kind of really intricate, like, political conversation between the Sea Devils and the Master and the Doctor and then the humans up above who are, you know, trying to declare war. And there's this really interesting kind of deep um, idea about, like, how, you know, what is the nature of force and what is, you know, that the episode is trying to address. And you're having this conversation with these dudes in these kind of ridiculous-looking rubber masks (laughs) <laughs> um, so there is this kind of moment of friction where um, it kind of reminds me of in The Dark Knight when uh, Christian Bale would be having this kind of conversation about philosophy, but he'd be having it in this voice. And so it was kind mm-hmm. of hard to take anything seriously. Um, yeah. So um, I, I don't know. Uh, kind of a, kind of a neat, neat concept. I really do like this. I do wish the, the makeup was a little bit better, but they look fine. I mean, it's very for, – for the budget they had, I'm not going to complain too much. Um, yeah. Um, Shana, your quote for this episode was going to be, uh, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know, did my, my weekly search of quotes and there just weren't many quotes and I'm trying to think back and most of the stuff, honestly, if I was going to quote something, it would be silent because it would be that little bit of like sign language that the doctor and Joe did with each other about creating a diversion because I loved that scene because they were adorable. Oh yeah, no, that's that's one of the best moments in the in the story. Yeah, I'm I'm picking that quote because it was one of them moments where Daniel says, "Shh, shh, shh, shh." He's about to say something. It's an important thing, and he says, "You know, I'm going to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow." And I'm like, <laughs> "Uh, okay." And you're like, "That's the only time he says it." It, it is. That's true. And I'm glad you said that, so I don't have to. Apparently, a lot of people say it a lot. Yeah, it's kind of like the... He's out on something. That's all I he know. He says reverse the polarity a lot, and then like people you know, kind of latched onto this reverse the polarity of the neutron flow 
because neutrons are neutral and they don't have a polarity. So, you know, it's kind of uh, silly. But, oh. um, <laughs> but, but you know, people kind of think it's kind of like um, it's elementary, my dear Watson, which, you know, Sherlock Holmes never said um, in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, uh, tradi- in the Conan Doyle stories. This is, you know, everybody thinks he said reverse flare to the neutron flow like 50 times, but he only says it once and it's in the story. So worth okay. mentioning. I don't think I, I was aware of the, um, let's say, mythos behind the phrase. Right. But now that I know... Uh, yes. Received fan wisdom. Received fan wisdom. Yes, exactly. Uh, any thoughts on any of that, Lee? Before we move on. No, I think my my favorite quote, though, if I was to pick one, would still be uh, when they're over uh, Trenchin's body and and the doctor just says dead serious that the master used his nationalism as a weapon or oh, whatever it was. That is a good one. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree. Um, I the the bit that I'm probably going to include in the audio for this is going to be the uh, the bit of the. Uh, the next character I want to talk about, the Parliamentary Private Secretary Walker. Oh, um, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh my god, he's so annoying. Uh, let loose the dogs of war, etc., etc. I'm going to find some, yeah. some neat stuff in that. Uh, and, um, boy, if there was ever going to be a, uh, a, a uh, political allegory figure for the um, socialist Matt Hulk, I think this uh, Parliamentary Private Secretary Walker is, is that character. Um Anybody want to say anything about this character before I say stuff that I want to say? I mean, uh, but... he's a douchebag. Yes. <laughs> I wanted I wanted uh, Blythe to slap him in the friggin' face. Oh, my she, God. She so wanted to. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Blythe as well. She was the other character. Um, Blythe is played by June Murphy, and Walker is played by Martin uh, Baudet. Blythe, like... I liked her because she had a lot of... She was making all the faces that I wanted to be making at Mr. With I Have a Long Title, Please Say It Every Time. Right. Parliamentary uh, Private Secretary Walker. And the only reason I know that is because I uh, read it. So you know. <laughs> I refuse to do him that respect of calling him by his full name because he is a da-douche. Yeah, I I, th- I think my feelings followed the facial expressions that uh, Pert we have when he interacts with the guy. You can tell he just hates this guy. You see, he just has no no tolerance for st- stuffy bureaucratic arseholes, you know, like him. So well, right, and uh, this guy. Sorry, what's interesting to me is that this guy, you know, is is such a like, oh yeah, we'll go full force, we'll kill them all, let's get the bomb, etc. And then the moment he's actually threatened with uh, danger, he is a complete coward. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's not a political subtext to this at all in the height of the Vietnam era. <laughs> um, you know, certainly there's no political uh, conversation to be had about that. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's, 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 uh, I mean, it, 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 it's sort of like, uh, George Romero. He, 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 he obviously wears his political uh, stuff right on his sleeve. He doesn't hide it at all. I mean, this guy is such an overt, uh, piece of piece of garbage essentially and a power mad uh, little man in a, in a suit who has way too much power for his own good and yeah and it and I honestly I just wanted to see Blythe be able to slap him once even even if it was like in the heat of battle or something you know to just get off one slap come on just slap him in the yeah. face or once just punch him in the face don't even sl- yeah. shoot him in the face <laughs> uh, you know definitely claws into him I don't know I... I mean, he's sending her out for toast and shit I mean that's like the uh, yeah no mm. it's, it's crazy he, he throws her fuck his thro- his coat at her yeah like it mm-hmm. he is just so immediately unlikable well and it and it makes a nice like comparison to um, when we were talking about Inferno. 
and we uh, we mentioned Petra, and then you know Greg Sutton uh, comes in and he's like, "Come on, you can do a little typing for me. Help me settle in." And uh, because she's a civilian, she gets to just tell him he's full of shit. Yeah. But in this case, uh, she doesn't have that option. But ironically, uh, probably has a, a an even more uh, vindicated response just because you know we know what a bind she has to be in. Yeah, very interesting mm-hmm. that that's in this episode. That that was something explicitly, you know, in both the writing and the direction that that they were definitely dealing with the fact that there's a sexist asshole. Um, yeah, well, she she holds back more more or less to support uh, Hart's uh, position more than anything else because right. Hart's the one who's really in between a rock and a hard place, and he's essentially the substitute for the brig in this episode. To some extent, I think. No, no, definitely, I would agree. Um, Shannon, any uh, any thoughts before I uh, do my little joke here? <laughs> well, since you said it like that, there was an element of with that character of um, caricature to 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 a degree of just like he was so over the top and especially balancing out with the master and the doctor and everything going on in this episode. I don't know. I liked it a lot um because of that though i guess is what i'm saying and i i guess that was surprising to me you gotta really give a give good notes to the to the actor just for being that unlikable you know yeah. like, <laughs> i really yeah. went for it there you know um i ironically i was sort of looking at this and i don't know um anybody i kind of look at the actor and the way he looks and kind of the way he talks and he reminds me a little bit of um barry letts in like interviews like, you know, kind of the, the, that slightly mealy-mouthed uh, voice that he has and the kind of, you know, the haircut and everything. And I'm, I'm kind of like, is this, are they digging at their own producer? Like, that that would be an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, um, the uh, the joke I was going to make is that, that may be the title of this episode um, and kind of getting at some of, the, some of the themes here. But I think the overall uh, message of this story, when you look at the, um, the fact that the Royal Navy was involved in the, in the um, fact that they do have to make the military look really good, but yet the writing kind of undercuts that the whole time, is that the, uh, you surely call this stupid, sexy military. Um, <laughs> um, and look it up, kids, if you don't remember the Simpsons episode from 20 years ago. But um, <laughs> uh, any thoughts about that? About the about the uh, the way that the military is portrayed here, or the way that just any any further thoughts about that? Mm, I think it's I think it's actually not doesn't portray the military too badly. I mean, it it, it portrays the people like on the ground having the the gun battles with the sea devils as competent, you know, and, and to just doing their job. It's, it's more of a negative cast on some of the bureaucrats and, and the like, right. You know, well, running the show. I guess, I guess my thing is like, you've got all these like really awesome looking shots of like, you know, bombs being loaded and big explosions and, and a hovercraft and a sea do you get a sea do mm-hmm. at the end. Not um, only a you do, you get a sea-do race. You do. We're going we're gonna to talk about that here in a second. But, Absolutely. you know, so you, you get all of that, but then, you know, it's built into this story about how shitty, you know, the kind of the upper echelons are and how shitty the decisions are. And I think well, that's interesting. I think yeah. for me, it it pokes at that um, that level of it, it's not the man, it's not the individual on the ground that's the problem. It's these nationalist uh, bureaucratic administrators who lose sight of reality. That kind of narrative, I think, is getting played out. I, not in a bad way, but like, I it relies on a lot of familiar tropes. I think to be able to tell the story that it does. 
Um, but it's in a way that I think is done well. I would that... I would agree. Sure. Yeah. Um, shall we move on into recurring themes I noticed in this episode? Sure. Uh, sandwiches are a recurring theme. <laughs> um, the Doctor not only pauses in the middle of his sword fight, um, and sword fight is another <clears throat> theme. He he has a sword fight with the Master. He pauses in the middle to eat a sandwich and um, chat up the Master. Um, he pauses in the middle to steal a sandwich from Joe later. That, that's a later scene. So there are two very <laughs> intricate sandwich scenes. And, I mean, that, that sandwich scene with Joe Grant is one of those, like, there are people that cannot stand Pertwee's doctor solely for that scene because he's such an asshole because Joe was talking about, I'm so hungry, I haven't eaten in, in hours. And he's like, come on, Joe, we can't eat these sandwiches. What are we? This isn't a party. <laughs> and then he proceeds to have a conversation, eat the sandwiches while he's in there, offer it to other people, and then give her the empty plate and say, oh, I'm sorry. Um, really, it's I think it was meant to be um, kind of lighthearted and humorous, and I think it, it kind of is, but it's also like, man, you're you're such a dick, John Pertwee. Um, <laughs> I think it's more just, uh, you know, it's just a sort of instinctual reaction for Pertwee's doctor to eat a sandwich when he sees one, I guess, without thinking about anyone else's feelings at the moment. <laughs> right. Mm, delightful sandwich. I must eat it. Yeah. Uh, I will say I could tell by how Joe, what's the actress's name? I forget. Katie Manning. You can tell by how Katie Manning is playing that scene that it is meant to be a joke. The, the reality is, I'm a person, if that happened to me, I would be hangry as shit, and I would not like the doctor. He would not be someone I would want to be friends with. I'd be like, you were a douche, you knew I was hungry, and then you just ate it. I didn't even get a bite. Like, you inconsiderate douchebag. Like, I get why people would be really upset with him, um, but it's also, like, five seconds in one episode. Well, well here's the- It feels like it was a moment of questionable direction, and it honestly, I think the reason I didn't like it is because it, it feel it felt off kilter for his relationship with Joe more than anything else. Mm, well, I, I'd say here's the question: Would Liz would Liz Shaw put up with it? <laughs> no. <laughs> would Sarah Jane put up with it? Uh, she 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 might, but she'd probably she'd never let him forget it. That that'd yeah. be probably the difference there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe that that's part of why people might have an issue with Joe is. Uh, she doesn't say anything. <coughs> definitely makes a face. Um, and I mean, that's, it's the same thing we can say about the uh, Blythe that we were talking about. And I think that you kind of have to be fair and say, well, they're they're both on the job here. So ultimately, like, they can't necessarily, like, be, hey, doctor, you know. Um, whereas some of the other characters we've talked about really don't have that kind of obligation. So it makes sense for her character to to have that restraint. I'm not so willing to say, like, she's being weak or anything yet. I don't know if that's what people say. Um, people really just say Pertwee's being an asshole. Like, that, that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of as far as it goes. Um, I overread something. I'm sorry. Oh, no, not at all. I think you... I, I actually really like the, the where this conversation is going in that... Um, and I want to kind of... Uh, push it in a slightly different direction, but kind of follow that. Um, do we think that the kind of, um, you know, talking about Blythe and talking about Joe Grant in, in the story, do we think, that, and, you, and you drew an explicit parallel between them, do we think that that, uh, you know, 
that we in the year 2015 are seeing the are, are seeing these characters in a way is like built into the sexist society, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that we're putting that on the show, or do you think that that was sort of intentional by the people that were making it at the time? Do you think that, or do you think that they were just going, oh, it's just kind of a, a silly joke that we're telling? Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that, or am I pushing too hard? I think it was just a joke. I don't think there was a lot of thought behind that at that scene. I think it was just a funny joke. Oh, absent-minded doctor uh, steals a sandwich, uh, <laughs> and no one makes a big deal about it. And then on the other side of the coin, I think with with uh, Blythe uh, is there's probably a bit more thought behind it there, where you know they're actually making a statement that hey, this this asshole from the government is really an asshole, whereas the doctor is just you know. He's the doctor. He's got a million th- things going through his head all at once, and sometimes he, you know, overlooks some things. And it's nothing. It's not an asshole move. It's not something personal. Whereas, jackass trying to get Blythe to go get him toast and smoke salmon or whatever uh, definitely is. So. And I I think that there's like the the key point thing is the difference between the two is is the respect given to the person. I think definitely that Blythe is meant to like that was purposefully meant to be a here is a woman in uniform and he's just bossing her around and tossing her jackets. And that seems like a purposeful dig in the writing. Um, If you were to say anything to me like about that one moment with Joe and the doctor and is that meant to be representative of something it no like like i said for me it feels a little uncharacteristic it feels just a little wonky so for whatever reason it doesn't quite feel right to me but at the same time it's it fits within what their relationship is meant to be i guess because he is a more paternal figure and what what's funny is like now that we're talking about it i can totally imagine that moment happening between clara and capaldi you know, oh, like like that feels it feels much more like a Capaldi Doctor thing than a Pertwee Doctor thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's the fact that we see Pertwee be so very considerate of people or individuals, and in this whole storyline that it's talking about, like negotiating a peace deal essentially for him not to pay attention to the fact that she has explicitly said she's hungry and he does not get her any food. It feels like a dick moment because it feels unrealistic to me. But does it feel like a Capaldi like a and um, Jenna Coleman moment? Yeah, because he's kind of a dick to her all the time. Yeah, that's where like they make comparisons between Capaldi and Pertwee. Capaldi, from the little I've seen him, he almost reminds me more of like Colin Baker or someone like that who is explicitly a dick to his companions for quite a while. <laughs> At least Capaldi doesn't out and out try to murder Jenna Coleman. Like there well, is. Oh yeah. That. But, not uh, yet. Not yet. We'll <laughs> find out. Um, I'm I'm kind of wrapping up here with my notes a little bit. But um, Lee, did you have anything you wanted to add that we didn't uh, talk about, or um... uh, j- just a couple things I noticed? Um, the I think it was only in the first episode there was so many Dutch tilts going on that I thought it was an episode of the original Batman show. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was like, whoa, whoa, there's a Dutch tilt. Oh, there's another one. Oh, and there's another one. How about that? You get um, some shaky cam on the ocean in episode three as well, or four, yeah. maybe. But later on, you get some. There were some. There were some really weird camera angles in this. Um, <laughs> I, I I focused in on the 
beer that the two guys in the old fort were drinking, old old oak light ale. And I actually looked on the internet to see if it was a real thing. Couldn't find anything. <laughs> I did the same thing when I first watched this episode about a year and a half ago, Lee. So you're in good company. Oh my god, y'all are geeks. <laughs> yeah, true. In, in fact, I think there is a. Uh, I think you can find a photo of the close up of that on my Facebook page from way back when. So uh, see, and I paused it and tried to figure like get a closer shot of what rings joe is wearing so like that's the difference here ladies and gentlemen not to be too gender essentialist i don't know uh lee and i were have been long-term beer geeks for a long time so yeah like yeah and i like jewelry i was trying to determine if it was a real beer or not i don't think it is i I think it was uh a prop for the uh you know although i would drink something called old oak light ale i think that oh yeah definitely yeah you know Maybe and the uh, only maybe Garrison should make one up in Nova Scotia there, Lee. Yeah, <laughs> and the only other thing is that I think on one scene, I think in one scene, Joe may have killed a guard. <laughs> the the <laughs> scene where she frees the doctor, yeah, she judo chops him right in the throat. Oh, and... that's true. She does. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. right after she makes a little ball for uh, the doctor to knock the guard over. Oh my God, <laughs> she's so cute. She's just like. <laughs> First, they have this little sign language interpreting of, like, you make a scene, and then I'll take advantage. And somehow they communicate perfectly, and he might as well have blown her a kiss. Um, And then she runs around, and they have this whole stage scene. And then all of a sudden, she ducks down into a little ball. Um, Sorry, I forgot about the little ball scene. I thought she was adorable. (laughs) But, uh... yeah, and then she maybe kills somebody, so... (laughs) And the, the only other thing I, I really liked uh, is sort of a Pertwee kind of moment where he's on the submarine and they take it back from the Sea Devils and he gave one of their guns to the uh, submarine captain, right? And he oh. shoots the Sea Devil oh, and yeah. he, he scalds him for doing that. And then for the rest of the scene, he's just shooting daggers at the guy when he's talking to him. Like, he's just, I'm mad at you. I don't like you, but I have to communicate with you to get this done and get us out of here. So I, I really like that, too. Shane and I noticed when we were watching this last night that the uh, the doctor uses the sea devil's gun to like open up the little hatch thing, you know, mm-hmm. and then just hands the gun away. Like I don't need this anymore. I I you know I've got I've got military guys that can use the gun now. I I, I use my wits. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. A very doctor like thing to do that goes back all the way to Hartnell, really. Yeah. Um, Shannon, did you have anything to add uh, about this episode or about anything we've talked about or just? Goofy shit. Uh, <laughs> or just goofy shit. That's always what I get prompted to say. I liked the castle. I There there were lots of little elements that I just appreciated. We're getting more outdoor shots. And as, as you and I are watching Classic Who, we've kind of bounced back and forth through time. Um, so I'm appreciating this era of television production. Uh, it, it's different. Um... And like I said, there there are elements that seem a little campy, but the but the sea devils still feel like really fully realized characters at the same time. Right. The fact that we get to see the doctor and the master working together in close quarters and getting along, and there is this kind of like, oh well, back in the day we were friends and we we worked at school together, but then every once in a while, the doctor just wants. You know, to say, like, hey, Master, you can't just go fuck shit up. And the Master's like, but I wanna. And I like that dynamic. I like that there is almost a uh, a brotherly relationship. Well, th- know, this, or- is actually, this is actually the last time we're going to talk about the Master for a little while. Because the other two Pertwee's I have planned don't have the Master in them. 
Um, the original plan was to reveal that the Master was the Doctor's brother, um, but Roger Delgado died, and so the Master left the series for a few years. Wow. wow. Yeah, he died in a car accident very tragically and young. That's um, sad. And that was one of the reasons Pertwee eventually leaves the series, because he was uh, good friends with Delgado, and uh, after Katie Manning left and then Delgado died, he kind of lost his passion for it a little bit. So, yeah. Sad way to end ah. the episode, maybe, but um, yeah, no, <laughs> That's but. Dark note. Yeah, like let's find. Some, oh, uh, I have a I have a fun little thing to talk about here. The score uh, by oh, Mal- yeah. by Malcolm Clark oh, yeah. um, as a way of saving money on this episode. Director Michael Bryant, because they were spending all this money on the uh, beautiful outdoor footage, and I do agree this this story looks amazing. Like going back and watching it again, I was just like, wow, this really looks impressive. Um, except for the like design of the sea devils themselves you know which looks a little chintzy like this actually looks good um in order to save money he didn't actually hire a composer he just farmed it out to the uh, radiophonic workshop and then this guy michael clark uh malcolm clark excuse me uh made this fully electronic score uh and uh i don't know what do you think of the score here shana um i liked it a lot overall i will say that there were a few moments where i went holy shit, that is an annoying sound. Um, where it just kind of gets the... You know what I'm saying. I, do. I, I don't have to go into it more than that. How do I put this? I think that there is an element of... I don't want to say whimsy. Whimsy sounds a little bit too flowery. But there is definitely an element of fun in this era of Doctor Who that I really appreciate. And I think, for me, part of that is the kind of electric music that makes it feel a little edgier even though it's got some stuff that feels a little chintzy i don't know it it feels like something that like a bunch of people that i would have known at that time could have been able to make but i still would have thought it was really cool (laughs) (laughs) sure uh thoughts about the score or anything else about the sea devils early i thought parts of the score were pretty effective it worked well i I think whenever it started following uh joe around it was it 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 certainly uh, got a bit more upbeat and was more interesting especially when she was sort of stalking around hiding from guards and stuff like that i i like that um but most of the time for me the score sounded like uh, a cyberman farting at an inappropriate time because sometimes it just didn't fit what was going on on screen at all and it's it's not as bad as spearhead in that regard so we got to give it that (laughs) yeah <laughs> but yeah, it didn't annoy me or anything. I mean, I'm I mean, you and I are both in, enthusiasts of sort of uh, electronic scores from that era for movies and stuff. So this isn't vastly different from I think even the movie we just reviewed uh, uh, last week, Shockwaves. I mean, it re- reminds me of that. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, all right, one last thing I'm going to bring up, and then I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, we mentioned it earlier, but it's worth talking about in some detail. The Sea-Doo Chase. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I really, I, I seriously, even after it was starting to happen, I couldn't believe it was happening. I was waiting there for there to be a shark and for them to jump. Um, I, I, Whenever I think about the excesses of just letting John Pertwee... John Pertwee loved driving things, and he loved doing the action scenes. So, you know, we get sword fights, we get all this stuff. Whenever I think of the excesses of they just let John Pertwee drive things, I think of that the Sea-Doo chase from the Sea Devils. That's my number one. Yeah. 
And well, in my, and in my memory, I always think like it's a ten minute sequence, and it's really not. But I always think like it goes on forever, but it's only like a minute and a half or something like that. But um, and I think my my real issue with the sea dudes is that point is we've already seen the hovercraft things right. by then, right? Yeah, and those are actually pretty fucking impressive. I think they look cool. I might be. Am I the only one? No, no. I, I, I just I just think the Royal Navy probably didn't want them doing a chase with those <laughs> as opposed to the the sea dudes. <laughs> I'm just I'm just wondering hey, why the hey, why the Royal hey, Navy has them. You know, like stop with your logic and your rationale. I'm I sorry. want a giant fucking hovercraft chase. Oh, I'd love to see it too, but I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking. <laughs> I want to see Michelle Gomez and Peter Capaldi remake this scene today. <laughs> with, uh, her, with, with her Mary Poppins outfit? With the Mary Poppins outfit, and I want Capaldi to be wearing the most ridiculous version of his costume possible. Um, in fact, I want him to be wearing David Tennant's spacesuit. Like, that's what I want him to be wearing. <laughs> and the I, Let It Go song from Frozen be playing, too. <laughs> yeah, we might as well, as long as we're doing crazy shit, you know? That's um, it. That's my fan video. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, the Sea-Doo chase, it definitely deserves, I mean, if, if for nothing else, it, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those, like, and then that happened, um, mm-hmm. very, very kind of 70s to mid-80s television, you know, like, it's just sort of like, and then the villain gets on this crazy contraption and, and runs, you know, and, uh, it's pretty awesome. Although I think Delgado didn't do his stunts on that one, because no, he's afraid of water or something? Delgado, it's kind of a myth that he was afraid of the water, I think he, um... He he just didn't want to do the stunt. I think. Um, ah, okay. Pertwee was down for it, but I think I don't think Delgado was afraid of water as much as he just kind of didn't want to do it. You know, like. Right on. Um, hey, I've been there. I don't really like sea doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and uh, Pertwee uses the sonic screwdriver to blow up landmines, um, which is awesome. And Joe and Joe uses a regular screwdriver to uh, free Pertwee from his bonds too. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a lot of cool shit in this. It's definitely worth watching. Um, and yeah. she wears like ten rings. Yeah, and a very form fitting cream colored pantsuit that yep. does not get dirty, so it's like magic. Yeah, I was thinking. I was I mentioned it while we were watching it. It's like Jamie Heinemann's shirt in MythBusters. Yeah. You know, the magical <laughs> that magic fabric that she can crawl through ductwork literally and come out spotless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, final thoughts from anybody? Good episode. I enjoyed it. I mean, it is, like you said, it is sort of a typical Pertwee era episode, but it's a really good one. Uh, you got your last master story for quite a while, and Delgado sort of goes out on a really high note, I think. So, um, I mean, it's it's worth seeing. It's it's definitely one of the Pertwee ones that's worth seeing. Yeah, I would think so far, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say it's my favorite Pertwee one so far, but it does seem to capture the spirit of the Pertwee era very well. From the, from what you have said about Pertwee, from what I've read about Pertwee, this is kind of what I was expecting. Uh, yeah, no, um, it's it's pretty traditional Pertwee. Oh, and Lee, just to just to say, I, I have the list of episodes in front of me. Um, after the Sea Devils, how many stories do you think pass by before the Master comes back again? Um, it was, it was quite a few, I seem to recall, wasn't it? Because he, doesn't he come back all, um... No, you're, you're thinking, no. He comes back, not in the next story, but the one after that. Yeah. They, they, I, I think they were like, we gotta take a break on the Masters, so then they, because he was in all the episodes in the previous season or whatever. He's in, he's so... in two, three stories in this? So he's in three of the five in season nine. 
and that was yeah. they had they had cut back a bit. You know, he wasn't <laughs> all of them. And and people complain about them using the Daleks, uh, Daleks a little too much. Yeah, right. No, I I don't disagree. Any further thoughts, Shana? Sorry, we went off into a tangent there. Not really. Um, I. <laughs> Again, I I love storytelling that allows us to see the domestic life of villains. So I really liked that aspect. I don't think we talked about that quite in depth, but um, sitting and watching the clangers and and using his rowing machine like that was, oh, that was the master's you know, life, you know. Ordering around the little idiot he got to believe him and <laughs> <laughs> like. Oh, well, I'm imprisoned, so I might as well have a good vacation while I'm here. I kind of get an uh, Ian McKellen as Magneto vibe, you know? Like, that's my... Mm. <laughs> like, well, the... he even wears the same shirt, pretty much. <laughs> he's just... The Master is so sassy. Um, I think that's what it is, is he just has such attitude. And he's... Like, clearly, he he doesn't win, Um, so he <laughs> his attitude is not quite as warranted as he thinks. But yeah, I I really enjoy that dynamic. I haven't gotten tired of it, but I could see how him being in every single episode would maybe be a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's like if the Batman only fought the Joker. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, this is just kind of what TV looks like. I mean, you know, nobody making this in 1972 thought like, oh, in 43 years, people are going to be talking about this on the internet, you know? Um, There there wasn't a thought of, like, people are going to care about watching all of these in a row. It's just kind of, oh, this is the show that's on for 30 minutes on Saturdays, so, you know, nice. People also weren't thinking about the internet. Yeah, this is a show the BBC is going to erase the tapes from in a couple years and use them for something else. They had already started erasing tapes at this point. That's mm-hmm. the amazing yeah. thing. Um, it's kind of astonishing that we even have the full Pertwee run because stuff was actually stuff had already been erased at this point, and yeah. you know, um, Pertwee stuff was lost. In fact, there was a story from season eight that uh, only existed in black and white until it was uh, recolorized just a couple of years ago. Um, anyway, that's kind of more Doctor Who geeky than I think we were trying to get there. But um, all right, wrapping up here, Lee, uh, tell us where to find your stuff on the internet if you want okay. to find your stuff on the internet. Yeah, you can find me at uh, Lee Russell on YouTube, or you can go to uh, my movie podcast uh, that I do with Daniel, uh, TMB DOS dot Podbean dot com. It's they must be destroyed on site movie podcast. So. Awesome. Um, and then Shannon and I have our stuff. We just have a little thing that goes on at the end there. Um, mm-hmm. Final thoughts there, Shannon? Uh, no, no, I- I'm good. All right. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, Shannon and I are going to be talking about The Three Doctors. So oh, yeah. look forward to that. And until then, the TARDIS is closed. Bye. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. Bye. You can find all our episodes on iTunes or at oispaceman.libsyn.com. That's oispaceman.libsyn.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Follow Shana on Twitter or Tumblr at Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A, or Daniel at Daniel E. Harper at either location.